Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Willie. And I'm Nick. Today we're going to get back to what we've been watching for the first time in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to go mm. over one of Willie's controversial movie opinions. Uh, we're going to review J.J. Abrams' Star Trek Into Darkness. And then uh, we're going to follow it up with some food for thought. Um, I'll say right off at the top here, we have launched our giveaway. And this will be the first episode where uh, we have a trivia question for you to answer. Just to go over it real quick, um, we're giving away the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 box set. Uh, it's Blu-rays of, of Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, The First Avenger, and The Avengers. Uh, 3D Blu-rays of those last three as well. And um, in order to win, you have to like us on Facebook. you got to listen to the episode. The next four episodes are going to have a trivia question in them, and if you answer it correctly, an email to feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com the correct answer uh we will enter you into a drawing to win the box set make sure that you give us your name too yeah give us your name we want to make sure that you liked us on facebook i guess you can immediately unlike us if you want to be a jerk but okay (laughs) uh but anyway and with each correct answer counts as a as a possible drawing a separate entry yeah yeah. so you you could have four chances to win total four chances per person I technically said per household, but I'm not worried about that issue. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, there's a post on Facebook. I'm going to have a post on the website, uh, so look for more information there. And the, the question will come up at some point in this uh, in this episode, so keep your, keep your ears peeled. But anyway, um, I think we're going to move right into what we've been watching. So, Willie, what have you been watching? Um, I, uh, I recently watched Life of Pi. Okay. Finally, yeah, um, it's amazing. It's like a really, really, really good movie. Um, I knew that it, I knew that I'd probably enjoy it just based on the the critical success, and and I did. I, it has some really great messages. Um, it's weirdly like life affirming. <laughs> like it like makes you feel really good to be alive after you're done watching it. Um, because the character goes through so much, and it's gorgeous i mean absolutely beautiful to look at the the some of the cg work is is incredible there's moments where i can't 100 percent tell you if it's a cg tiger or a real tiger which is amazing yeah that we've we're almost there i mean i i would still say i'm pretty good at discerning which is which um but there are moments where i had to question myself there um but it's great it's a great <laughs> film um it absolutely deserves the the acclaim it's it's received. Um, I'd like to read the book now that I've seen the movie. I know it follows it pretty pretty closely from what I hear, but okay. I'd still like to read the book just to yeah to Compare. go back to where it's yeah where it's coming from. Um, and um, yeah, no, it was it was great. Um, I also watched. Uh, I have a weird fascination with W. B. era teen thrillers. I don't <laughs> know if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'm we, mentioning it now. We, we know of your theory of. Theory of relativity. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No. I. There's a weird uh, slew of a slew of movies that came out in the late '90s, early 2000s, during the heyday of the WB when Buffy the Vampire Slayer was on, and Roswell, Seventh Heaven, and, Seventh Heaven and so on and so forth. Charmed. And yeah, charmed exactly. And Alex I mean, you y. could you could argue that um, you could argue that the reason why these WB stars were in these teen thrillers is because, quite frankly, they were popular at the time. Yeah, and that's probably the case. But I just like how like they could bring the demographic that they wanted. Exactly, to. but they've all like been in each other's movies throughout the course of their careers. It's really weird. Um, and I, I actually made out like a weird 
diagram of which have been which. Um, <laughs> but no, I watched uh, one I haven't seen in a while called Disturbing Behavior. With um, And the rule to be one of these thrillers, in my opinion, you have to have at least one star, a recurring cast member from a WB show during that time period. Okay. Um, and this one has Katie Holmes, so it qualifies. It also has a couple others. <laughs> um, it has a guy from Roswell and whatnot. But no, it's actually a fun movie. Um, it, it's, it's kind of just an episode of X-Files stretched into an hour and a half. Um, it's about a... Uh, kid, new, you know, new kid in town type situation played by James Marsden, who I always love, and um, he gets caught up in this web of lies and craziness, where basically the jocks of the high school are being reprogrammed to be perfect young people, but anytime they get um, excited or aroused, they start going like homicidal, <laughs> and um, it's pretty awesome. It's 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 a fun movie. Wow. I watched that back to back with um, Robert Rodriguez as the faculty. Nice. Perfect, I was just gonna say, perfect double feature combo. That is flawless. It was it was it was a perfect double feature. Totally uh, totally worth it. It's on Netflix. I watched the faculty. On as Netflix is the back faculty. In December. Yeah. The reason why I watched the faculty afterwards is because it suggested it to me. So <laughs> you can see both those on Netflix. Uh, Disturbing behavior is actually in the recent recently added section. Okay. As of about a week ago. So you too can now stream and enjoy John Stewart's performance of <laughs> the faculty. Absolutely. Which is great. Yeah. Which is also a great film. Faculty is still better than disturbing behavior, but if you're looking for that teen thriller fix, disturbing behavior is a good one. So really, right. really awesome D rock soundtrack too. Nice. So. Nice. I'm sold. <laughs> That's all it took. All right. Uh, Nick, what have you been watching? Well, it's been a couple weeks since you guys heard from me and I've watched a disturbing amount, as I have been on this massive movie kick since around January. I've just been chewing through movies like <laughs> there's no tomorrow. Um, it's only going to get worse, because in the summer I don't sleep, so I just stay up and watch movies. Uh, I watched all the entire Terminator saga, including a couple episodes of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, there's too much for me to say than even to really delve into it right now. Uh, I'm actually thinking about writing a little article up and throwing it, making my first contribution to the website. That'd be good. Literally the first, because I don't have a bio either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, while you're on there writing the article, you could always throw a bio up. (laughs) I like to stay in the shadows. I'm Nick. I'm the guy who wrote the Terminator article. (laughs) Of his Terminator article fame. Um, I also do owe you an Indiana Jones retrospective article, which I was going to write. I have an outline Mm -hmm. for that one, actually. Uh, But I have a lot of thoughts on the Terminator saga, particularly about how the first is just an, an utter masterpiece that was partially so good because of its constrained budget. And the second is just ups the ante in every regard. But I still prefer the first one. But the, uh, the second is just amazing. And I'm so puzzled as to why the fourth couldn't be better. I mean, it could have been, but why it wasn't. There's so much wrong with it. Not, not just from an aesthetic or directorial level, but just at a, from a pure story level. There's so much that doesn't make any sense, frankly and uh, con- directly contradicts a lot of what's established in the first movie about the future. Yeah. So It's probably because they had Terry Crews at their disposal and they chose not <laughs> to use him. Yeah. It's just very, it's very arrogant and it's a, bad, it's a bad lesson on why stars can sometimes ruin movies. Referring to Christian Bale here and his, his forced retooling of the script. But anyway, uh, more importantly what I've been watching, I watched Primer with Alex, which is something we've been t- talking about watching for probably well over the a year The duration of our friendship. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, are you going to talk about this at all? Uh, maybe right now, as you talk about okay. it, just a little bit. Um, Primer was was very cool. It was unfortunate for we me. Should, we what should is say Primer? it's a 2004 uh, indie Extremely film. Extremely indie movie, directed by Shane Carruth, who has only made two movies to date. The second one of which came out this year, mm-hmm. actually, called Upstream Color. 
Uh, Primer is was touted as an indie, an intellectuals indie movie, time travel, scientific, just really. I can't even think of the it's right hard, word hard for to how put convoluted words to it. it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very good though. It's very cool. It's it's low. It's extremely low budget. Look, really was just tearing away at my soul while we were watching it because I was like, oh. if you have a CRT television, this movie would probably look just fine. It would be yeah, it would look okay. <laughs> watching it on my fifty-five inch HD LG was not. It was it was the best rough. method of delivery. Yeah. But it's okay. It's it's an interesting enough movie, and it's laid out. It's kind of like Inception, where as long as you're paying attention, you can at least keep up. But it's way more dense than Inception. Yeah. Like there's yeah. there's so much going on, and there's so much uh, just scientific jargon being thrown around that you really have to be paying attention. Which, admittedly, I wasn't a lot of the time. I would sc- I was on my phone like looking things up about the movie while I was watching it, which is a bad habit I have. But uh, I enjoyed it. I'm I'm ready to watch it again. I was ready to watch it again almost the next day. <clears throat> yeah, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's one of those movies where you'd have to watch it probably four times before you even start to really grasp. There are everything. a lot of uh, there are a lot of dedicated fans of it who have said, "Oh, on on the second rewatch, you'll get so much more. On the third rewatch, you'll get yeah. you'll get more." So it's it's an interesting uh, challenge to to kind of want to watch it repeatedly and see what you can mm-hmm. you know what water you can squeeze out of the stone on this one. But I, the main reason I watched it finally was to I wanted to see that before I watched Upstream Color, and I've been really intrigued by Upstream Color since I heard about it and saw like the poster and stuff. Um, this was, if we hearken back to one of our January episodes, I think this was on my top ten anticipated of the year. Okay. Upstream Color, I think it was like number eight or something, uh, and it was not. I did not really like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a giant mess. It's a huge mess, and it there's not. I got a little bit out of it, but I had to read a lot of people's opinions about yeah. it on IMDb, and it looks it looks good. A lot of people were praising its visuals, but it doesn't look any better than any indie movie shot on... I think it was shot on film. It was hard for me to tell, but it, it, it could have very well been shot on like a 5D, and the fact that I couldn't distinguish... It's kind of a bad thing. Yeah. It's either a great thing if he shot it digital and he hit it that well, or it's a bad thing if he shot it on film, which yeah. I think he did. I tried to look into it and couldn't find anything. The plot is just a... It's He tried to pull a Terrence Malick and make this giant allegory, which is an admirable idea, but stupid if you don't have the money to back it up. Because yeah. the only reason Terrence Malick's movies work are because he can be like, check out what a boss I am. I have a 10 millimeter lens and a million feet of film at my disposal, and yeah. I can shoot for six months to get two shots. If you don't have the money to do that, don't try it because you will end up making a movie that makes no sense and doesn't look particularly good. You will try. You will try. I'm I'm willing to watch it again to see if I get more out of it, but my first impression did not. It, I was let down. Yeah. This primer for having no money, it relied solely on story and it was kind of ingenious. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the acting in Upstream Color isn't particularly good. Uh, is he again, in it again? He is in it. He's okay. one of the leads. He's not he's not as good as he was in primary. He seems like he's not as comfortable in that role. Um, it's a it's a very weird movie, Upstream Color. I mean, they're both weird, but Upstream Color is very unusual. Uh, I can't even necessarily say I recommend watching it to you guys, you too. I would say if you have nothing else to watch and you really want to have this discussion, you you can watch it, but I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend anybody to go see it, which is a shame because I was really looking forward to it. Um I can't think of the, if there's much more else I want to say. There, there were some neat moments in the editing. There was some neat 
but it's it's kind of one of those things where when one person has authorship over almost every aspect of the movie, like he directed it, he wrote it, he's in it, he edited it, he did the soundtrack. That's so rare for people to be able to pull that off, and I don't yeah. think he necessarily did. The movie had one good like theme in the soundtrack, but by the time I heard it for the eleventh time, like forty minutes in, I was like, okay, <laughs> you can't put a good melody on the Casio, and we're like, this is going to be in the movie. <laughs> sure, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what what he does next. I know he apparently had a screenplay that was very ambitious and very cool that he couldn't get funding for. So maybe it's weird. Like the Upstream Color has like a ninety-two or something on Rotten Tomatoes. And I watch it. And it's I was got like, some pretty high critical praise. I, I don't get it. Super yeah, weird. I don't know. I, I I do want to check it out at some point. It's hard but. for me to not scrape something enjoyable out of a movie. I usually go into every movie and try to enjoy yeah. something about it. Yeah. Even Die Hard on our review, I was like, at least it looked sweet and the action was good. Yeah. But this was can't really recommend it. Okay. All right. Um, I went and saw The Great Gatsby in 3D. Um, Which I, we were supposed to review. <laughs> we were supposed to review, but it, I wish we could have. But didn't Prince come totally, yeah. totally showed up and just <laughs> stole our hearts. Purple Rain <laughs> stole our, the our Rain imaginations. Um, it was good. There's some <laughs> there's some problems that I have with it. Uh, Toby doesn't necessarily carry the the narrator very well. Not to mention that most of the like interstitial stuff that they added they basically added this uh this isn't much of a spoiler it's the first scene it's bookends and it's kind of interstitial throughout but um the main the main character nick is in uh an insane asylum uh, and he's trying to kick his alcoholism <laughs> essentially in the insane asylum and the guy tells him to start writing just start writing and so he's writing the story of the great gatsby okay it doesn't work. It's not good. It's it box is not good. The, that part of the movie is not good. <laughs> um, but this movie rides on the coattails coat of Leonardo DiCaprio, literally, and Joel Edgerton, because they're amazing. Like when when you li- when you like think back to the passages in the book where like Nick describes either of them. It's like to a T, right on exactly what you would see in your head, mm-hmm. and like the first introduction you mean scene. The actual book. Yes. The not okay. Yeah the the um, the first they scene. Made a book of that? <laughs> the first scene where you like the introduction of Gatsby. It's in the shots in the trailer, but the shot of him holding out the glass and and the fireworks going. It's awesome. It's amazing. Three D doesn't add anything to it, but it's amazing. Um, and there's some really. Uh, DiCaprio is by far like he carries the movie on his shoulders so um, it's somewhat faithful to the book there's some things that get changed around little bits here and there and uh, a lot of things get kind of drawn back to take to put more focus onto the Daisy Gatsby you know story but um, all in all it's it's good but, uh, and, and I'd say that the first maybe third of the movie feels pretty, like, this synthetic is the best word that I can think about it. And then that kind of dropped away from me. And I don't know why. It's not, like, you would think that with the 3D that would somewhat help. Because it has before. It has for me and, like, Avatar and Tron. And, like, sometimes the 3D giving the, the world depth can help me overcome the synthetic feel of the backdrop. But, like, 
some at least some of this was shot in like houses and things like that and sometimes it just doesn't feel real like it even on a set doesn't feel real to me but hmm. but by like by 40 minutes into the movie that kind of wasn't a concern for me anymore like they obviously the the big party scenes that Gatsby throw like the parties that Gatsby throws they're kind of meant to be pretty synthetic because everybody there is just, I was just there just say that like that that's probably by design but even there are parts like beyond that like uh, the the geography of the movie is very strange and he does like these wide sweeping CG shots of the whole area that the movie kind of encompasses and it doesn't serve a good purpose because it just doesn't feel real it doesn't feel like that part of New York where the book takes place it's just it's very strange but uh, it, it's it's good I wouldn't rush out to see it uh, 3D was the 3D was well done it didn't add anything in particular to the movie in my opinion but um, you'll have to watch it in 2D eventually and then you might redact that statement possibly you might, you might end up saying oh because that's the same thing I said about The Amazing Spider-Man when I saw it in 3D and now I have a hard time watching it in 2D because I saw it in 3D first and I was like eh, maybe it didn't add significantly and then when I watched it in 2D I was like you know what it did actually Okay. it's interesting <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious to watch Star Trek in 2D eventually as well as the Hobbit. I still haven't seen The Hobbit in 2D. Okay. Yeah. I haven't I'd... seen The Hobbit in 24 FIPS either, so I don't know what to think. <laughs> it, it would be interesting to go back and check it out, and I could see myself doing that at some point. But uh, all in all, it's good. You can wait for it on Blu-ray. It'd be just as pretty. But um, Okay, so I think we're going to move on to Willie's controversial movie opinion. Yeah. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> this is one that I... I can't say that everybody will disagree with me by any means but I, I feel pretty <laughs> pretty strong about this and uh, along with a couple other movies that were very very important to the to our generation of of film lovers this is one that I feel is completely overrated and I don't think it's that good a movie to be completely honest not that it's not well made I just don't think it's that satisfying a movie uh, Fight Club I have never understood the, the love for this movie and I never will. And not just in terms of of the not just in terms of the film on its own, but in its place in David Fincher's filmography. I think there's that this is probably the worst David Fincher film in all of his filmography. <laughs> Honest to God, I, I I I truly feel that way. And I'm I'm I don't know how you guys feel. Maybe we should see what you guys think about Fight Club. And I I encourage anybody listening to. Please, yeah, by all if, means, email you, us. Tell you, us what you think. If you disagree with Willie's controversial opinions, and give me a reason, you know, please. I, I, I we'd I, love to read it here and maybe try to refute. <laughs> some Willie can try to refute his points, or we can disagree. Sure, yeah. This is this is what's fun. Is I hope that I hope that people, and maybe we should post this on the Facebook as well. Possibly, it might yeah. be a lot of fun to to see what people say about it. But I I have always thought that Fight Club may be a very well made movie, but it is an incredibly overrated movie that does not deserve the cult following it seems to have. Okay. Nick? Nick. Um, I agree, 100%. I, <laughs> I will say, though, I think you have to be very careful about the, the term. Overrated is, like, the most subjective idea ever, because calling something overrated, obviously it's, it, that's, that's acknowledging it has some great amount of critical praise or following. Sure, and I guess what I mean when I, when I say overrated... It might not be the right word for it, but what I mean is no, it's, probably it's a it's movie that doesn't deserve to be talked about or as much as it is talked about. All right. Fair. 
that's my that's my feeling of like why are we still talking about why 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 do I still hit people like oh Fight Club yeah like it, it, like we're <laughs> why are we move on Fight Club in my opinion is a is a movie that is very popular and adored by teenagers because okay. it's it's all about like damn the man it's all about the whole anarchy sure. angle we're the forgotten children of God. Yeah, and it's got some killer performances. It's super nihilistic. It's got yeah, it's got some killer performances. It's got some very interesting ideas and very interesting dialogue. It's visually very cool at moments. It definitely, for like a Hollywood movie at the time, what year is that? Two thousand ninety nine. Ninety nine. It definitely was taking things in a direction that we take for granted now in terms of editing, uh, even like aesthetic looks. Um, not to sound redundant, but in in some of the some of the lighting and the and the design of the movie are things that we see all the time now that can almost be traced back to Fight Club. Sure. So other what are, we have to think of some other movies from that same era that were coming out, or even in TV like that was pretty in the thick of the WB era, like you were saying. Then you get this dirty, filthy, nasty, soggy-looking movie like Fight Club. But also polished. It, it did have a it did have a slickness to it as it's well. It's got a technical sheen on it. Though. Yeah, it does have a technical, but in in, in content, it's disgusting. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. so gross, and it it's very interesting that I was I remember being like fifteen or something and watching it and be like, oh man, those guys are cool, and now I'm like, no, they're not. They live in an abandoned, <laughs> leaky, disgusting house, and they're out hitting golf balls at five in the morning, in a vacant Completely road, drunk. just drunk. That's disgusting. That's not cool. <laughs> but when you're a teenager, you think it's cool because you're like, uh, it just it gets into that mind. It reminds me of like how I was obsessed with Pulp Fiction when I was a teenager, and now I watch it and I'm like, I recognize the greatness of it, but I'm I'm beyond it now. Like it was a great introduction into unconventional storytelling. Sure, and sure. I th- I think that it's Fight Club is kind of a good stepping stone for people until their tastes mature and I don't mean that in a condescending way I just mean that their tastes evolve and 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 grow a little so when I meet like 30 year old people who think Fight Club is the tits I'm like what other movies do you watch because how come you haven't progressed beyond Fight Club to me it's a very adolescent movie it's that rebellion rebellion phase sure sure it does have that said I actually just today like three hours ago sent a Fight Club quote to somebody um, and so it, it has made its mark for sure, and I think that it's one of the finer performances by both Pitt and Norton. And I know they both had a ball making it. Oh yeah. And it definitely helped catapult David Fincher into you know into the limelight, which he outright deserved for that movie. It's uh, it does have many great things about it, but I will say it does not deserve to be. There's a reason I have a lot of David Fincher Blu-rays, and that one is not among them because I don't care to. S- it it belongs with my DVDs, and I'm like, there's Fight Club if I ever need to pop it in and watch a scene but it's not a movie that like it's adolescent also in in fincher for fincher too uh, it's we which is weird considering it's a, it's the movie he made after seven and seven is just <laughs> leaps and bounds so much better <laughs> seven seven's very amazing seven's a masterpiece but alex i know alex fight club this movie. fight club remains on my top 10 movies of all time um I completely agree that there are legions of people out there who love this movie for all of the wrong reasons. Okay. There are people who... They're the people that are like, oh yeah, it's Fight Club, you know, they're getting down there and beating the crap out of each other (laughs) in the cellar of a bar. It's so sweet. I'm gonna do that. (laughs) That's not why I love this movie. It's not... um, 
it's not like I don't I never identified with this movie as like you know Tyler says at some point our fathers were our models for God if our fathers left what does that say about God I never like I've that I've never identified with that statement and I don't necessarily like I I kind of like where it goes but it's not something that I like I didn't kneel to this movie and and you know pray yeah. to it but I this is probably one of the first movies after Empire Strike, Strikes Back that pulled the wool over my eyes completely and still to this day I will sit down I watch this movie probably at least once a year and I will watch it and find something new that I didn't see before that leads up to the the, the breaking point of the film like it's just very these beautiful little moments of dialogue or just something that is sitting in the foreground or like just these little bits and pieces of things that you will notice after watching the movie the first time that you're just like I feel like I'm blind because this whole time I could have known the secret to this movie and I, I have to appreciate it for that and I, and I enjoy it a lot because I, there are not many movies that I can sit down and watch again and still see something new every single time but um, I mean it, it's Nick, Nick already said the performances are fantastic and I, I won't argue with that I, I, I absolutely I love that. the soundtrack like this is this is before Tron Legacy I, I am not like an electronic music fan but the Dust Brothers soundtrack to this movie I used to be able to listen to it like, that was one of the albums that I would listen to straight through on my CD player. And, you know, I'd fall asleep to it because there's some awesome moments that you could just fall asleep to. But then there are things, like, I have one moment in one of the songs where I was like, if I was a ba- uh, baseball player, this is, the po- this is the song that I would walk out to. <laughs> and it's amazing. Like, it gives me goosebumps thinking about that. But, like I said, I completely understand that there are people out there that probably love this movie for all the wrong re- reasons. And I would not go so far as to say as this is David Fincher's worst movie. And in that, I would cite Alien 3 as case number one. And I personally did not like Panic Room very much. Panic Room's sweet. I I think it's fun. It's a very different movie. I'm sad that you said Alien 3 because somehow I didn't think of that. Because I forget that movie exists on purpose. So you put it on, um, you got a block. You're, you're absolutely right, though. No, that's, that, that is a worse movie than Fight Club. Yeah. Um, I will disagree with Panic Room, though. I think Panic Room is a classic, awesome Hitchcock esque, like thriller. Hitchcockian. Hitch. Hitch yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sound too goofy. As the internet. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's, it is. It reminds me of like cool Hitchcock thrillers. I like Panic Room for a diff- for, for a, a newer audience, and, and I, I appreciate the simplicity of that movie. It's the opposite of Fight Club. It's it doesn't try simple. to be too much, and, and I like that. And that's probably why I don't necessarily. I liked it, but I didn't. I wouldn't put it above Fight Club in my book. And, and there are arguments, to be fair, with not that I want to make this Panic Room versus Fight Club, because that's not what we're talking about, <laughs> but there are arguments out there where if you want to look deeper into Panic Room and what's, what's going, what could be going on, um, there are some very interesting things, some very interesting subjects on the internet about how each one of the uh, home intruders is an aspect of her psyche. Which is very interesting. Uh, yeah. So, so there no, is. Totally. I'm not saying there's certainly more to it. There's subtext to it. I, I can't see Fincher taking a movie as, as simple and you know what I'm saying. There's more to that. But whatever. Regardless, I, I would disagree with that. But fair enough. One yeah. thing that's that is funny about Flight Club that I will say is that the whole movie is incredibly self-aware. 
mm-hmm. and Fincher and Pitt and Norton have all talked about how the movie itself is making fun of the characters and the themes and basically saying anybody who takes the movie as gospel and like really adopts that that anarchistic like mindset and is really into the whole macho fight club thing the people you were initially talking about who love the movie for all the wrong reasons the movie is making fun of all that shit yeah. it's making fun of that behavior it's poking fun of these idiots who shave their heads and, and push a giant boulder through a Starbucks and think that it means anything yeah that is brilliant. The fact that it has, it has cultivated all these. It's subverted its own audience somehow. Yeah, it's which it's is, a weird like snake eating its own tail. Yeah. Is, which is which is very interesting. Do you think that the reason and why part of the reason the movie is overrated is because the wrong people are constantly touting it? Do you think? But do you know if when it came out, if there were zillions of negative reviews about it? I don't know because I know the box, the old DVD box that I have, is covered with all the negative reviews about the movie. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I I'll look on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know what kind of historical data. I didn't mean to step anywhere. No no no. Um, Let's do you think the it. reason why um, the reason why this movie does have the following it has, or it seems to have? I I I can't say for sure that it does, but the reason in my experience, there are a lot of people who like to rent Fight Club at the store I work oh, at. Oh yes, and they are mm-hmm. nuts about it. Yeah. Um. Do you think that has something to do with with the counterculture aspect? I mean, Nick had mentioned earlier that this was during an era where a lot of this stuff was the very, the very glossy WB, you know, cruel intentions and uh, you know, and, and Buffy and things like that. The really sexed up teen stuff. Do you think that this movie was the answer to that for kids that weren't buying into that crap? Much in the way of kind of how. Great, Great Gatsby's kind of brilliantly positioned in where it is because it's right between Iron Man three and Star Trek, and sure. so it's something else for people to sink their teeth into. I think Fight Club, Fight Club was unlike anything else that you were going to see on the screen at the time, and so th- that's probably a direct reason why it's it was it's mostly always young dudes who rent that at the video store, sure, because they're they're into that whole. Well, and part of that is that a, a lot of the the girls that I've known that haven't seen Fight Club, they're like, why would I watch that? It's about a bunch of dudes fighting. It's like, no, it's not at all. But, you know, that's that's why you have a bunch of teen, like high school teens that are sitting there. So we could, with my initial question having been, or my initial statement having been that it's it's overrated and it doesn't deserve the following it has, could we say that 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 it doesn't deserve the following it has, but not in the way I'm saying. Like, like I, I I would say that it deserves a better following than the following that it has, and that it, it deserves it for different reasons. Yes. Okay. But, From a technical standpoint, it is a very well made movie. It has I love the editing of it. Mm-hmm. That is always something that's caught my eye, even back then. I remember I I mean I loved this movie when I the first few times I saw it. Like I said, I've just moved beyond it a little bit into different territory. That doesn't mean I still don't like watching it I don't like I like looking at it but I don't like watching it necessarily but there's a there's a neat little detective drama woven throughout there of him trying to figure out just what's going on and yeah the first there's no experience like the first time you see Fight Club absolutely just like the first time you see Memento mm-hmm. which is why I always I always cry for people who have these experiences ruined for them totally uh, and the first time you see Terminator 2 if you don't know like the, the little twist the little flipping on its head of it which we'll get into on my eventual online article uh, <laughs> Whenever that may come out, but it, it's it's definitely a fun movie to look at. It's got so much cool, just everything in terms of blocking and composition, everything about it. There's there's always some neat 
and there's a there's a really 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 badass Steadicam reel that came online. Did, you, did either of you ever watch that? I posted it on Facebook like three different times. I don't times. know. It's so cool, and it's like got this all these these great Steadicam shots. Mm-hmm. There's still a few like landmark ones missing, but it opens with one of the ones from Fight Club, of them basically walking through the bar at closing time Getting and down heading to the into cellar. the, into the yeah. cellar. And the movie's full of those little moments that people will look back and be like, "Oh, I remember that shot from Fight Club for sure." I will say this, I, and I'm, surpri- I'm as surprised by this as you may be, Alex. Y- you have a pretty solid argument, <laughs> and, and actually, Nick, Nick, I think unintentionally kind of did the same. I, I would say that you might be right. Maybe, maybe it's not so much it doesn't deserve a following. It's just that people are following it for the wrong reasons. It's hard not to hate this movie for the people that love it. For the, wrong, the people that love it for the wrong reasons. The, yeah. People like, that love I it because they want to watch people punching each other in the face. I think your yeah. statement still holds water. It is overrated. Because that's why it is. It is o- not that's in why David it's, top sure. three movies. No, I agree with that. I still agree with that. But See, I, I haven't seen... I haven't watched Zodiac yet. Um, oh, man. For me, personally, <laughs> for me personally, I would probably put it up there. But I also need to rewatch <laughs> Benjamin Button as well. Oh, man. Sure. Is all I said. But... Zodiac's you know, really good, though. Well, trying to, no, I know. I, I've wanted to. It's trying just, to sort Fincher's movies numerically is really difficult, because he hasn't made a... Well, he's made a bad movie. He's made a bad movie, which is remarkable for how many... How many movies does he have under his belt? Like, eight, nine? And I've heard, I've heard people argue that... I've heard people argue that, that Panic Room and the game aren't so hot, either. So, and, and Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, people I've heard that, people that didn't too. Love Dragon They're not Tattoo. bad movies, though. There's one bad movie he's made. The rest of yeah. there's all their varying qualities. All of those people that love good. There's people that love Alien Three too. Yeah, they're wrong. Those people are weird. <laughs> uh, God, his his film, <laughs> his director's it, filmography in IMDb is so messed up just because of all the music videos that he's directed. Yeah, George Michael, twenty five. Yeah, I mean, no, obviously I there's, but for every you know, calling something overrated is always tricky because you you may genuinely believe that and there's always going to be someone who has great arguments against it. Like, I guarantee someone could come up to me and say, Nick, Inception is wildly overrated. And they would probably have a good argument as to why they think it's overrated. I would just have a better argument for why it's not. (laughs) Because I love that movie. He's he's made nine movies, by the way. Nine movies, all right. And only one, I would say, is certifiably certifiably rotten. Yeah, the rest are all, they range from good to spectacular yeah. to, to modern masterpiece alright I was really in a, spinning off of that uh, I read today that his 20,000 Leagues has been delayed yet again it's a bummer dragging his feet because I am looking forward to that movie like what and I just want another <laughs> David Fincher movie he gets so bogged down in like the bureaucracy of all the movies that and he he's wants a, to make he's a very very well spoken guy like his content from side by side was awesome. some of my favorite stuff absolutely yeah i just want to say too that that's you know just to not that you guys are hearing me wrong but i want to clarify david fincher's fantastic no and this yeah. is not a slight yeah. against him he's um, seven is seven is i still think his best film i don't think he'll ever make a better movie than seven i think seven is wholly unique like it, there's nothing like quite like seven there are other movies that tried there's to be imitators <laughs> yeah but none will seven is in my top probably Certainly in my top hundred of all time, Pro- and, and cer- probably top in my 20. top, probably in my top twenty, probably. Um, Definitely. But this one, I, I just, and even as a kid, even as a as a kid who, for whatever reason, decided to wear like those spiky punk bracelets at one point. <laughs> so I was, I did not have, I had the rebellious streak trying to be in me, but I never, this one, I never understood this one. So I don't know. Fight Club is one of those movies that you will see on almost every first year film student's favorite movies list. 
and generally by the time they're out of school it will have found its way off that list it's it's on that it's in that category for me of other movies like Boondock Saints and oh. uh, uh, <laughs> Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko. It's I'm offended that you put it in league with those. But, but it is. That's you will inevitably find. I can almost promise you, if you pulled like teenage teenage boys, ages 14 to like 18, their favorite movies, you'd find those three movies and and a bunch like it. I'm just I'm I'm blanking right now. But those were all my favorite movies when I was in that age group. People who, especially aspiring film kids, they love those movies and fight fight club does belong on that list because it's a great like i said stepping stone into that that idea of that that editing style and hiding things in there like the, the quick frames of brad pitt throughout the movie that are awesome and the 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 storytelling jumping shuttling back and forth in the narrative it's it is a great movie to watch for for the way it's told and sure. if those movies inspire kids to get into filmmaking then there's nothing wrong with that no that is totally cool yeah. like so, I, I think i think Guy Ritchie does everything in Fight Club better than Fincher did in Fight Club, or at least in a way that ages better. Because I remember watching Fight Club a couple years ago. Me and Tony actually watched it, my brother, and um, we were like, "Hey, let's watch Fight Club." It's been it's been like three years, and he was like, "Yeah." And we watched it, and both of us were like, mm, "I don't like that as much as I used to." Yeah. And I think if you watch Guy Ritchie's movies, they kind of have the same jumping around in narrative, and they just do it in a way that doesn't look quite as dated but they were made a little bit later snatch was just a couple years later which is interesting also because it has brad pitt but pitt likes from some of those movies i guess all right anyway yeah I'm i off. i enjoyed this segment quite a bit I yeah hope it, that I was hope a lot it of fun reappears but yeah. we should move on to uh star trek i'm gonna give us maybe 15 minutes of non-spoilers we will probably need less yeah, yeah. I, I think we never need much for <laughs> yeah all right um so star trek into darkness J.J. Abrams' second entry into the Star Trek uh, franchise. J.J. Abrams' what, third or fourth feature film? Fourth. Fourth? And probably his last Star Trek film. <laughs> yeah, this is his last direct in the director's chair. He'll produce the third one, but um, I just want to confirm confirm your... Uh, Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible Super 8, Star Trek, and Star Trek 2. Star Trek this, this Star Trek. Okay, yeah. okay. Yep. All right. Um, so starring Chris Pines, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, Simon Pegg, the people from the first Benedict movie, Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch, most important. Carl Urban, Peter Weller, Peter Weller, Alice yes. Eve, kind yeah. of. <laughs> um, and Al- the synopsis, Alice Eve in underwear, mostly. Yes. The synopsis is, after the crew of the Enterprise find an unstoppable force of terror within their own organization, Captain Kirk leads a manhunt to a war zone to capture a one-man weapon of mass destruction. Fantastic. That's that's probably the best IMDb synopsis. I value synopsis. Okay, <laughs> I value a good synopsis, and that is a good synopsis. I think that does it pretty well. Um, Do they ever specify how much time has taken place between track one and this one? No. I would say about a year, if I had to guess. They, they, I, you know what they do. They do specify. I don't know what it is because there are star dates in the first movie, and there are star dates in this movie, but I don't. Because this one's like twenty two fifty three point five five. I don't know what the first. I, I think I there. Can... I think there was a line too that Kirk had to Spock when they were going to meet with Bruce Bruce Green, Greenwood, where he said it's been a year since. I. Or it's been one year with the Enterprise. There's no way there. That that popped into my head. That scene popped into my head when you asked that question. I'll I'll do some research. Okay. But basically, you know, you're not listening to this if you haven't watched the first Abrams Star Trek Probably film, not. but. Uh, 
J.J. Abrams made a Star Trek film that kind of spurred off into its own timeline, kind of a retelling of Kirk and Spock and, and the crew of the Enterprise getting back together, the crew of the original series Enterprise getting back mm-hmm. together, or getting together for the first time. It was, a, it was a clever way to to go back to what made the original series so great, but for it, Abrams to set up his own universe. Yeah. And yes, it was a bit of a cop-out. You could call it a cop-out. Yes, that's true. But it's, it was the smartest way to handle this. I think it's ingenious. I it's, love it's, the first it's one. It's good, because there's a fine, fantastic case of saying that Star Trek would have been dead without that last movie. If this... if if Abrams' first Star Trek movie didn't do well, Star Trek would be laying in the Paramount CBS vault somewhere until they could figure out a way to reboot it well. Sure. Which, there would never be a good way to do it. But, um... That said, Star Trek... Many of the Star Trek fans that I know hated the first movie. For, for reasons of... Not even just the timeline, but the fact that, you know... It's ludicrous that there could be a thing that could drill through the center of a planet and the fact that you could create a black hole that would somehow just destroy one planet. That science doesn't meet up. However, that didn't blow the ice pack for me in the first one for some reason. Like it often does in a lot of movies. So, anyway, um, let's get into general thoughts about, about Star Trek Into Darkness. Willie, how did, how, did how did you enjoy this Star Trek movie? Well, I... I, I... I, I liked it. I liked this movie. Um, I walked out initially feeling like... Um, we should say we saw it in, in IMAX 3D. IMAX 3D, yep. Um, I walked out initially feeling like this movie was more enjoyable than the first Star Trek by Abrams. Okay. And But that the first Star Trek was a, more, was a better movie, a better made movie, certainly tighter, and, um, and I still feel that way mostly. Um, the high notes that this movie hits... I think are better than most of the high notes in the first Star Trek movie for me. Okay. Um, the entire cast is fantastic. Everybody that was cast in, in this reboot of the Star Trek franchise is perfect. New for characters that role. and old characters. Perfect. Everybody. Cumberbatch is amazing. I don't think any of us thought he wouldn't be. Yeah. He plays a fantastic villain. I'm really excited to see him in that role, um, especially after seeing him on Sherlock, where he's kind of an anti-hero. We see him get to see him go full on villain this yeah. time around, which is yeah. a lot of fun. Um, I will say uh, the 3D was was pretty solid um, this time around. I'm not usually usually a huge 3D lover. Um, part of that is in, I've talked before on the podcast about how I think that particle effects like explosions and rain always, for whatever reason, really stand out to me. Mm-hmm. But this is one of the first 3D movies where I've had something thrown at my face and actually move back a little bit. Okay. Like, it actually made me jump, which was kind of cool. I've never actually experienced that. You see it in, like, promos for 3D movies. Like, oh, yeah, look at the X flying out of my face. Like, yeah. But I never actually felt that until this time. So that was kind of cool. Which movie is he talking about? Uh, the Resident <laughs> Evil. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you were, being, you were joking. With that. I okay. was making the yoke. Um, <laughs> I, uh, a couple of things I want to say as well. J.J. Um, Abrams' Eye for Action this time around. It was really impressive to me. And I mean that in the sense, not that he hasn't impressed me before, I think there's, there were moments in Super 8, moments in the first Star Trek, and moments in Mission Impossible that impressed me, but most of the action that he's really, uh, that I've really enjoyed of his dealt with CG characters or, or ships or monsters or whatever. This time I saw some really cool 
gunfights and hand to hand fights that that I was yes. that instantly made me say, and I hate to say this because we're, this is a Star Trek movie we're talking about, but instantly made me realize the 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 action scenes in a new Star Wars movie by this man could be amazing. I already knew he could do the ship stuff, but anyway, that's another franchise. But he it's he, an he has an, he has, an, point. he has an eye for action though, and I think this movie made it abundantly clear that he has an eye not just for action but adventure. He has that adventure movie down yeah. at this point. Um. He's and Spielberg. yeah, no, I, I, I ultimately I enjoyed the movie. I have some some qualms with it. Um, I probably will save those for spoilers. Okay. Um, there are there are some issues I will say with some pa- some pacing issues, and there are some moments that felt redundant, not just in terms of within this movie, but dealing with stuff that happened in the previous movie. Yeah. And there are certainly some characters that feel lost in the shuffle. Okay. So. All right, and I'll, I'll say right here, um, I was a little wrong. Star Trek Into Darkness begins on Stardate 2259-55. Okay. And um, the first film, uh, the more recent end, is 2258. So it's about a year apart. Okay. But, Nick, your thoughts? Uh, Willie covered pretty much verbatim except I um, I love the first one I I loved it when I first saw it in the theater and I actually had only watched it that one time but I I retain movies really well and really easily so I don't I can go for years without seeing a movie and still remember it pretty intimately yeah it's one of my powers and uh, <laughs> I rewatched it when uh, Alex lent me the blu-ray a week or two ago yeah and I just sat there, just on the couch, did not look at my phone, mouth agape, and I was like, I forgot how good this movie is. It is, and I don't say this often, but it is a near-perfect movie, in my opinion. First one, the opening scene is incredible. It grabs you right away. Visually, it's retardedly good. Uh, like you said, his eye for ship combat action is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, the drama, the, the stakes set up in the first scene are great. And from then on, it just is just a roller coaster ride straight up. And uh, he he does definitely like to use flares without abandon uh, in the first one. <laughs> I found myself kind of missing that in this one though, because yeah. I, he he uses them. They're not without a purpose like they were in that one shot of Super Eight, where I was like, "Oh my god, where are my sunglasses?" <laughs> they're they're the first movie. I don't I don't know if it was because I had watched the first one the night before or if it was just that he has become more disciplined with them but I didn't it didn't bother me at all. I mean the first all. the first one to me is like a perfect space modern Indiana Jones movie. It is a perfect adventure movie. It hits all the beats flawlessly. The 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 pacing never slows down. It goes from like Kirk getting to getting to know the people, getting the crew together getting into a fight, getting kicked off the ship, finding his way back. It's just, it's awesome. And you just ride with, you ride with Kirk the whole time, and that's totally fine. Yeah. There's a little bit of Spock being a protagonist, but it, it's, it's done so well that you don't care. And, and it's a great balancing act. Everybody, every character gets their own moment in the sun. And the one who gets shortchanged the most in the first movie is probably Scotty, but it's fine because he's so good. You're like, I loved his moments, and that's fine. Yeah. Into Darkness, I had incredibly high expectations for um, because I loved the first movie so much, and I, I forgot until I had rewatched it just how damn good it is. And it didn't quite live up to, to what I wanted. And I think one of the biggest issues, non spoiler, 
that that Willie also said is a lot of characters get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, and it's it's a huge drag. This movie, it suffers from a lot of what's kind of becoming Dark Knight syndrome, where you don't you have a hard time following one character. And this movie felt a lot like it couldn't decide who the protagonist was, Kirk or Spock. Yeah, and that's not. I'm just getting I'm getting worn down by movies like this that that can't just make up their mind. Yeah. Um, but I, that's that's getting more specific. Just in general general thoughts, uh, obviously, like Willie said, Abrams' eye for action is spectacular. The hand-to-hand combat was all very fun to watch. It was definitely elevated. Everything in this movie was elevated by Benedict Cumberbatch. He sold... Every, he's the Dolph Ziggler of acting. Like, he sells <laughs> everything so, 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 so well. And I couldn't believe... Dolph I, Ziggler's not the Dolph Ziggler of acting? <laughs> the real we'll acting. He hasn't, been, he hasn't been in a movie yet, so we don't real know. Real acting. Well, he can, be, he can be the villain in Star Trek III. Um, Cumberbatch is just... I, I was watching the movie and thinking, God, the other actors must have been like, Jesus, scale it back. Because <laughs> like, he's so... He just goes for it. Yeah. Like, constantly, throughout the entire movie. And just the looks on his face when he's fighting people are just so outrageous, and his hair just flying in and out of his face, and he's throwing... Every ounce of himself in every punch that he throws in that movie, and it's a movie. Like he probably yeah. had to do how many takes of everything, and yet he just—you can tell—he gave it a hundred. He, he hurt some stuntmen. You could tell he gave it a hundred and fifty percent every time. Every every time he had to be on screen, and it shows. And it's—I'm so thankful that actors are like that. Mm-hmm. He makes it look. The thing is, I don't want to say he makes it look easy. He looks like he tried his damnedest, and that's great. Like, it shows through. Like, Chris Pine makes it look easy. You can tell he just rolls on set, yeah. and he's like, I'm Captain Kirk. He just everybody. has the swagger that Absolutely. Kirk needs. And, and even then... in the even in the deleted, or in the behind the scenes on the first movie, they're all making fun of Chris Pine. They're like, he's really good at push-ups and <laughs> all this stuff. And they're making fun of how he just rolls on set. And it's like, hey, everybody, <laughs> I'm Kirk. Uh, it's perfect. But Cumberbatch is just so good. And I was thinking of the one... The one scene in particular where he has this really long, unbroken monologue in the movie, and he's looking right at the camera, basically. Yeah. And it's just the range of emotion that he displays in this one unbroken shot is so good. And uh, we have I have to thank Abrams for knowing not only how to direct action, but how to direct actors, and just how to know when to just not cut the camera and let them do their thing. Yeah. It's, it's just a, such a balancing act directing a movie like this and making it so good where you have to hit all the right notes, you have to hit the humor you have to hit the drama, the action the suspense, everything, and he does a great job again with this one um, I think the set pieces were really cool it just didn't feel like it you know, once again, the, the one guy's headline the Star Trek Into Darkness is the hangover 2 of sequels still stands for me, or stands It's it didn't didn't raise the bar in any area really because the villain in the first movie was great too um but we'll get more into that in the spoilers but i i definitely as much as i'm it seems like i'm hating on it especially to some any of my other uh civilian friends who are listening to this who are not involved in the podcast uh we've probably been arguing over the last 12 hours about this movie and once again i did not not like it i love i loved it it's a great movie it's an awesome movie but i wanted it to be the best movie of the year and I don't think it's gonna be no um I wanted it to just move into pure like Oscar territory and like it seemed like it was gonna head that way too and now I can tell you it didn't <laughs> and that's it's not bad it's just not didn't become the sequel that I wanted it to be yeah I felt like it didn't take a step back necessarily it just kind of lateraled right over into a sequel it's it's unfortunately kind of 
just a, a companion piece to the first movie. Anyway. Yeah. Um, From the real Star Trek fan. I don't want to parrot a lot of the things that you guys said, so I'll try to focus on the things that I know are pretty different. Um, if you hated the first Star Trek movie for the things that you hated it for, you're not going to like this one any better. So it's not going to mend any fences, but... Um, this should be prefaced, I think, really briefly with the fact that you are a, a huge... I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very big original series fan. Uh, that being said, it's not like I've seen every single episode of the original series, but I've seen a good amount of them. I've seen all of the original series films. Um, I, I have great respect for the things that Gene Roddenberry wanted to achieve with Star Trek and, and the things that he did achieve with Star Trek. Um... But I still, I still enjoyed the 09 Star Trek a great deal. It's a very, it's a fantastic film itself. Uh, it just didn't feel very Star Trek, and you know, like I said, it, that was something that it needed because its fan base is dying off and doesn't care about film as much, and you know, isn't gonna go to the movies in the middle of the summer to go and and you know, uh, build up the box office of a Star Trek film. Um, so it was out of necessity that we got the Star Trek that we did in 2009. However, um, it's interesting because I feel like this movie kind of uh, wraps things up into a bow that kind of allow it to head into the direction where I would want it to as, as a Star Trek, like the, the third Star Trek film in the new timeline could return to what Star Trek used to be and like it's it's kind of placed perfectly in order to do that i don't know if that will happen i don't know uh you know it's not like we're gonna get less action scenes in a new star trek movie that's actually a really good point but um about the ending yeah we'll get to that more in spoilers but uh i thought all the performances were fantastic uh i had some iffy moments with with quinto as spock but which is interesting because I had no qualms with him in the first one at all. But everybody else seems like they really grew into the characters even more so than last time. Including, you know, I I feel like Pine probably did a little bit more research this time around. And he, like, dug into not necessarily the William Shatner cadence, but the, the Kirk cadence. Which, there's there's some sort of fine discrepancy there that I have in my, in my, in my mind. But just the way that he was delivering lines and not only that but also uh you know the purpose with which kirk carried himself in this movie felt closer to the kirk that we had known by 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 design which Um, makes sense because he's not a yeah he's not a a green he's not a rookie anymore no yeah exactly and he he's not the alternate timeline kirk anymore he's kind of realigned with what he used to be like kind of it's which is interesting yeah we'll get into that (laughs) yeah um but I, I mean, all in all, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I do think that uh, John Harrison is a better villain than Nero. I, I thought Nero was good, but I, you know, he was a Romulan who was pissed off. That's kind of what I got out of the first movie. But I think Benedict Cumberbatch had so much more to chew on than Eric Bana did that I just have to, you know, I, I appreciate. He's certainly it. much more involved in everything that's going on. Absolutely, Nero, Nero always felt like a guy sitting in a chair on a monitor. Nero, so. Nero did a lot of waiting for Spock to come out of the, sure, the wormhole, sure. and you know, so you know, he he could have been given more, and he would be on par for me. But um, but yeah, the the only other thing that I can say I'll say before spoilers is that I really wish that 
Abrams would have used the alternate timeline to go in a completely different direction. Yes. Because, you know, without spoiling anything, I think we can say that, and it would make sense. Like, there there are certain elements in this movie that have come before, as Willie said, and we could have just moved into a new place, and it would have been okay. Because you've lost the fans that wanted the really big Star Trek moments, and uh, you can make a great movie without retreading on the things that came before. So, um, let's do a real quick letter grade, and then we can move into to spoiler territory. Willie? Um, I'm going to go with a B. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with a B. If some of the stuff that, as you said, was kind of shadowed in this film was closer to my heart, it would be a little bit lower of a grade, I think. Yeah. But it's not, so I can't, you know, so yeah. B. Yeah. Nick? I'm, uh, I'm B+, plus, high B+. Okay. After we have our in-depth discussion, it could shift its way down to a B or to an A-. minus. It's right there where... I frankly really need to see it again. Yeah. To to save sure. But my initial reaction, even even right as the credits rolled, was I was like, mm, it's a B, B plus. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'd give it a low B, almost B minus. Uh, because like I said, I did I did enjoy it quite a bit, but um. It's but I weird. Did... It's weird how much. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's it, it's I'm in a very strange place because I I hate I hate the 09 Star Trek for what it is not being a Star Trek but I also enjoy it for being a great film. That's what that's basically what I'm saying is there are there are very good arguments to be made especially for someone like you why the 09 is a good but yet you still like it. And this one there are massive issues with this movie. Massive and yet I still liked it, which is very... And even that's it, quite a feat. We'll get into it in spoilers because there are things that I hate that they used in this movie, but I still love the way that they did it exactly. somehow, so we'll get into it. Uh, so we'll be right back with spoilers. Alright, it's time for the trivia question of the week to win the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 box set. Uh, we're gonna pass it along to Willie. Yeah, my question is of course Marvel related because... This is a Marvel prize, and it's uh, dealing with Captain America, the Captain America film, if you want. Um, Captain America, the first Avenger. The first Avenger, yep. Now, Dr. Abraham Erskine is assassinated in Captain America, spoiler alert, and um, he is assassinated by a Hydra sleeper cell agent. Now, we're looking for the character's name, the name of the character, Hydra sleeper cell agent, not the actor. So what is the name of that agent who kills Dr. Erskine? The actual name, not not the name that yes. he gives in the beginning of the scene. If I hear a Fred Clemson, I'm not going to like it, because <laughs> that's not the one we're looking for. So so uh, email your answer to feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com. If it is correct, you will get into uh, the drawing for the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 box set. Uh, make sure you give us our name, too, and go like the Facebook, and that enters you to win. So, uh, that's it. On with the rest of the episode. Alright, welcome back. We are in spoiler territory for Star Trek Into Darkness. Willie, what are your spoilers you'd like to discuss? Um, first thing, one of the first things I thought watching this movie, um, once it got rolling was... Wow, there's nothing as good as the opening scene in this movie 
after the opening scene. Like, there's nothing as jaw dropping for me as the opening scene. There were no, there were, no, there are no action, major action beats in this movie that I will like will be implanted in my memory forever. You know what I'm saying? Like that, I, I will, I will look back fondly upon, going, "Wow, that was amazing to see in the theater." But the opening scene, I will probably remember. I don't feel. I mean, I were there awesome action scenes? Absolutely. You know, Spock and Khan fighting on the floating platform was very cool. Uh, Khan going kung fu ape shit on like security guards was pretty cool. That was awesome. Khan with giant weird laser Gatling gun in one arm and like pistol in the other. Favorite. Super moment. cool. Highlight. But the vis- the the look and the the pacing and the the cross cutting between Spock's part of the mission and Kirk and McCoy's part of the mission in the opening scene and everything that plays out was my personal favorite part of the movie. And not being a huge Star Trek Star Trek fan, I will say it felt the most Star Trek from what I know of Star Trek. No, yeah. I that that could have been an episode of a Star Trek episode like that could have been a star trek original series episode and in a way it's very cool because it makes you think how many of these missions have these dudes been on for the last year yeah you know so that was cool um i i I'll, i would just want to say off top i don't really agree with you but i will agree with the fact that i don't feel like that there's much that's particularly remarkable in the way of action in the movie no, but it's all handled very well i do not agree with him that the opening scene is amazing it's it's good i wouldn't say it's the best part and I, 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 but I do agree that nothing, I'm not going to look bad, I'm not, you know, there's nothing in this movie that is pinnacle. Real or, worthy. Yeah. Anyway, um, back to Willie. There's a lot of redundancy early on, I touched on this in the non-spoiler section, I want to get into more detail here. Um, I am so sick of... Kirk getting fired and being like it's 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 I thought that we had gotten through this in the f- course of the first two and a half hour movie and yeah. apparently we didn't because we're right back to square one at the beginning of this movie and it was really frustrating for me because it didn't feel like a natural continuation of what we saw in the first movie the Spock and Kirk relationship was at a pretty solid point and they understood it had a pretty decent understanding I'm not saying they were perfectly in tune with one another but it felt like we, you could just forget everything that happened in the first movie at this point when it comes to those two and their and the, yeah. their advancement, their their character arcs. They the might end, as well have been reset. The end of the movie is like Kirk's learned a lesson, and then the beginning of this movie is like nope. Kirk didn't learn his you lesson. You might as well nope. think this movie took place three days after the first one. Yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah, absolutely. And same with Spock. Spock learned how like, that you know he does have emotions that he will express from time to time, and that's not a horrible thing. And then like he's right back to robot mode in this, and it just it felt weird to me that one i i think he becomes a bit more of a robot because out of necessity like he says in the movie but i mean and not just not just based on that i mean it's not that i don't want i want to see spock like like just like every other human character because that he's not interested that then he's not spock but i don't know there was a lot of character development in the first one that i felt just kind of went out the window especially with spock and kirk in, in this one um once again, there are characters that are lost in the shuffle here. And most importantly, I would say Chekhov, who was never terribly important in the first movie. And I don't think the series, from what I know of the series, it's not like he was crucial to what was going on, necessarily. He had his place on the ship, and he served his purpose when he was there. I mean, Like I said, I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. No, here. I mean, yeah, he was... He, he, was, he became a regular in Season 2, and on top of that... Um, uh, he doesn't really become that important until the movies, but 
So he's 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 certainly part of the crew, and he pops up from now. And I I like Anton Yelkin a lot, and I I thought he was a lot of fun in the first movie, and I wanted to see. It's not that he doesn't have stuff to do in this; it's just he's so sectioned off in his own little portion of the film. He has no real face-to-face interactions with almost anybody up until later in the movie. Them red shirts down in engineering don't get much screen time. No, they don't. Actually, um, is he even on screen with the rest of the cast until the end when he I don't, catches Kirk? The, the very beginning, in the, on, <laughs> oh, the, on, the bridge, on the flight, yeah. on the bridge, and towards the end. Yeah. And, and that was a little disappointing to me. And the other character is Sulu, who arguably, he did have a lot more to do in the first movie, so it's he got us a lot of moments to shine, especially the sword fighting and stuff like that. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. You get to see a different side, like a, a cool side of that character. Like he, he was, I mean, he knows his stuff, mm-hmm. but there, there wasn't a ton for him to do in this one either. No, he got and to I, sit in the captain's chair, but and and by the time that they're there, and, and I will I will give our frequent collaborator Tim Long full credit for this quote. Uh, holy crap! There were five captains over the course of this movie. Um, so it takes away all the meaning of who the captain is. No one. Can, what does it matter? Anybody yeah. can be captain as long as the situation calls for it. So I guess that doesn't really have any importance. Um, but anyway, so I was bummed a little bit about <laughs> those characters being. Uh, I was paraphrasing, by the way. So, um, but yeah, that was that was a bummer. Um, the only other things are I'm sick of the villain. The Hannibal Lecter villain scene, where the Hannibal, where the villain is, you know, yeah. working against the the protagonists well under their watch because they've captured him. It's a little different in this movie because that that wasn't necessarily exactly what he was planning to do from the get go. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It still feels like y- you could totally edit this in the Avengers and Dark Knight and. Silence of the Lambs together, and you could probably it'd probably be a cohesive. You could put them all sharing in the same cell, and it would probably make a lot of sense. Um, and then the alternate universe thing. Obviously, this movie, for those who have seen it, they know that it does def- it copies a lot from from Wrath of Khan. It flips some things on the head, but um, it, it it kind of it negates the setting up of an alternate universe almost. Yeah. Because what does this mean? Does this mean that it doesn't matter that <laughs> that Nero ever came back, things are going to course correct, that we're essentially going to get back on a similar, if not the exact same path, then what was the point of the alternate universe? We might as well have just remade Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yeah. So, as cool as it is to see, I, I'm, I was fully aware, not being a Star Trek fan, of this, I've seen Wrath of Khan years ago, and I was fully aware of the scene and how iconic it is between Kirk and Spock. Um, putting their hands on the glass as as Spock mm-hmm. dies of radiation poisoning on the other end of the glass, and to see the roles reversed this time around, just knowing how important that scene is to Star Trek fans, was pretty cool because I know how I would feel if I was, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's I I love the the way that the script comments on it too because it's very much. You know, the second time in the movie where they talk about what would Spock have done and what would Kirk have done. And they're two distinct things. Yes. And by the end of the movie, they both understand the other's viewpoint and they do what the other would have done in their Absolutely. situation. Absolutely. And it's very cool. And it, and it works very well within within the movie, but I just it's a little disappointing because here Abrams is really trying to separate himself and do his own thing with Star Trek and finding a cool way to do that through the use of the alternate alternate universe and then not paying off on that 
not promise, but not paying off on the concept. Not using it to its not full utilizing potential. it. So that's a little bit of a disappointment. And I, I don't know. I that was disappointing. But I, I th- and I, I find it funny that this this con twist was so kept under wraps. Like they tried to keep it so under wraps and just deny, deny, deny. He's John Harrison. Blah blah blah. And it's a really horribly kept secret in the movie for anybody who knows Star Trek at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really... Like, you, you know pretty much exactly what's going on. Like, you can see the setting up of Spock and Kirk having to have some sort of, like... It just... I don't know. It, those are some things that I that I noticed. But, the, like I said, I, I, I did enjoy the movie. I'm not trying to tear it to pieces. But there were definitely some things that I had issue with. Totally. Totally. Uh, Nick? Um... I love time travel. I'm done. That's it. <laughs> I love I love time travel a lot. It's one of my favorite subjects in in movies, and one of my favorite things to just think about and speculate about and talk about. And, Thought um, exercise. Yes, and which is maybe part of the reason I love the first movie so much because it handles it so well and in such an interesting way. Um, and the and the alternate alternate timelines are also very interesting to me. Like those two things combined are just phenomenal fun if handled properly and the the first movie just did such an incredible thing with establishing i mean because how, how do you what do you do so say you're handed a property that's that's a, a well-worn media property and you say you make a new one what do you do do you stick to the original do you use it as a blueprint do you strike off in your own territory the first Star Trek did everything. It did all of those, yeah. And it did it in such an ingenious way. I was like, these guys are such a great team. <clears throat> and I'm not even a Star Trek fan. I've never seen a Star Trek movie, any of them. I've never seen Wrath of Khan. I have seen a little bit of each of the series, and I've enjoyed a lot of them in different ways. I have a hard time watching the original just because it's so damn old, and it, it holds no nostalgia factor for me. But the moment when I was in the theater and Leonard Nimoy Spock showed up I was like holy shit this is awesome and he sells it so well and the plot explains it so well and the the, the scene between him and young Spock him and Quinto Spock is so good and it just did such an amazing job of covering all its own bases to the point where I don't even think you can necessarily call it a cop out I just think it's brilliant and it made me so excited because Spock, older Spock basically says you know he talks to young Spock about his relationship with Kirk, and he's like, you may not like him yet, he's like, but the two of you will form a friendship that will come to define you in, in, all, in the years to come. And it did, he, older Spock did such a great job of basically saying, your timeline was my timeline, but now it's its own timeline. And that's really cool. I'm going to go off and make a new colony. You continue to have great adventures with your friends. I'm not going to interfere in your... Yes. In your life, it's like we can we can be in two. And the fortunate thing for you is that you can be in two places at once. Yes, yeah. and he, it's just such a great idea to be able to capitalize on that and go in whatever direction you want with these characters. Because in my understanding from the way the first movie ends is that this is no longer the same timeline. These are not the same characters. That experience has changed all of them to the point where they are not going to grow into the same people you saw before. It is its own universe now. But we, but it's not. <laughs> we got a remake of Wrath of Khan, and I haven't even seen it. And I, and I, I know, mean, I know, I've gathered enough data from the internet now and from various people's reviews and people that are big fans that it draws so heavily on the episode of Spacey, the episode of the show, and Wrath of Khan the movie, in just ways that are just intensely unnecessary. And it's a cool movie. It's well done. I, I like a lot of the aspects of it. That Khan is this guy who 
he did a great job. I'm still not entirely sure. He did such a good job of selling his is there nothing you would not do for your family speech that maybe these are all people he loves and he just wants to rebuild. I mean, I still, I'm not even sure he's just this insane conqueror who wants to rule the galaxy. Part of me, he did such a good job with that character, part of me still thinks maybe he just longs for freedom and to be with his own people, which mm-hmm. is probably not the case. But it's just so wildly unnecessary to retread on old ground now that you have come up with an amazing thing that's never been done before in movies, and then just to to make your fanboy script of Star Trek, to want to make your own version of Khan's story, because you can. Well, it was even more of a, look at how clever we can be with what's been done before. Which it's serves very, it's a little very, to no... It's a very arrogant move in the, in, script, in, the, in the script. It's just, it's kind of a dick move to be like, let's see if we can do it again and just undo everything we did with the first movie. Like, how how come old Spock in this movie didn't say, wait, what the fuck? How did you run into Khan? This is really weird. It, But it it kind of makes sense. Like, at Mar- Marcus, Admiral Marcus explains it as, you know, we had that run-in with Nero, and we were like, we need to see what the heck else is out there as soon as we possibly can and they stumbled across the botany bay and they boarded it and it woke up Khan. that was space seed like what what sure what marcus describes there is space seed but how it's just it's funny it's so convenient to me that like why didn't older spot go of all the millions of things you guys could possibly run into a year later, how have you run into Khan already? This universe's version of Khan, which is it that universe's version or is it the same version? Why didn't Old Spock blow up the botany bay the second he had a chance <laughs> to avoid any of this from happening? It's just, it's very, it raises so many questions about this, the the timelines. Like, what is going on now? Because I thought we were in a different universe, and yet we're just, are, are they. Are they alternate universes, or are they just layered? Well, and it, but here's the thing, is that everything with Khan happened in 1990. Like, the Botany Bay was sent out in 1990, in that time. Yeah. So, clearly those elements, everything up to 2259? No, earlier than that, because it's when Kirk fought Nero. Or okay. Kirk's father. Okay. Senior Kirk. George Kirk. So, like, fought 30 Nero. years before this movie. 30 years before that. Everything before that happens the same way. So the Botany Bay is going to be where it was in 2259. Does that sync up real quick, though, with the original origin of Khan? Does it still... Does that make sense in the sense of... Nothing Nothing about the timeline was, was would be any different from the original series timeline up until the point Nero shows up. That's the moment that changes everything for and that time stream. It, it works perfectly. Like it does. Khan, okay, I was Khan just curious. Is be, the Botany Bay is going to be out there somewhere for okay. the past 200, 300 years. And it could be stumbled upon by somebody. It gets stumbled upon a few years earlier in this film, and uh, by different people. And Khan, Marcus uses Khan to to make weapons and to you know to to develop this insane enterprise, the the Vendant Vengeance, and you know so things happen differently. And it is it is very much the same con because that's the con that was there 200 years ago just woken up but he's in different circumstances for different purposes yes in the events of the original star trek motion picture series was the botany bay jettisoned in 1990 yes the timelines line up okay so we are we are supposed to believe that benedict cumberbatch's con is ricardo montalban's con yes Okay. <laughs> I mean, 
clearly there's a discrepancy in the way they look, but that's just kind of a it's, they they wanted they wanted uh, Del Toro. But they are different characters, technically, Guillermo? because... <laughs> <laughs> Guillermo del Toro was going to be Khan. They, have, they are different characters, technically, because because Khan in this timeline was woken up earlier okay, and okay, utilized... Okay, I, I get that. Yeah. It's still dumb. Like, it's... <laughs> It's just so unnecessary. Why? No, from from a from a from a storytelling standpoint, to go and retread the the the, the Wrath of Khan, despite the fact that you're not necessarily doing beat by beat, you're purposely flipping those beats on their heads because it's, it's an alternate still, timeline now. It's right. still it's still stupid. It, like I really wish that they would have gone somewhere else with it. I admire. But, from from liking parallel universe stuff and like especially after playing Bioshock Infinite recently and talking about how closely parallel universes might mirror each other, it's it's admirable in the fact that they said we're going to take arguably the most iconic villain from Star Trek lore and we're going to do our take now that we're in an alternate universe and we're going to take all the hallmark moments from that series and we're going to twist them around. Mm-hmm. It's great on paper. But it's it, damn clever. But it's not what I wanted to see on screen. No. And... They would have been able to so easily make keep keep the movie almost as it is, remove some of the Botany Bay elements of it, but have this superhuman terrorist guy running around who is John Harrison, who is a Starfleet officer who you know has a weird origin, and it, it's just it's 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 too bad. But even that it, even that's kind of the. Um... Carl Urban threw everybody off of the trail by saying that he was Gary Mitchell because yeah. that's it's kind of been done before as well. So I would have preferred that a remake of a retread of an obscure character like Gary Mitchell yeah. than Khan. Yeah. <laughs> here's here's a quick question for you, Alex. Being a big Wrath of Khan fan, if if Cumberbatch had been playing another, per- that's that's, <coughs> that's what I originally thought. <clears throat> another person aboard the Botany Bay, and Khan was still asleep in the Botany Bay. And they'd happen to wake up a different person. That would have been neat. So we saw somebody who had the same power set as Khan and the same background as Khan. Would that have been a better movie? Let's pretend that they, they, we still keep the, the Spock and Kirk s- nuclear reactor scene where he... like. It wouldn't have improved anything because no. you've just switched the name. Okay. It's just somebody else. Uh, you would have you, to if, have you're, if you're still going to hit the same points, if Kirk and Spock are going to end... If somebody's going to end up into the in, in the warp core... Who it's cares? Still, it's yeah. still the same. You're still making the same movie with just a different person in it. Sure. I thought it was clever. Like I really thought. I thought the missiles. Like the originally. This isn't going to make much sense to you guys, but originally when the missiles were on board, and she was obsessed with them, I was like, "Are those the Genesis missiles? Are those the? Is that a missile that they can use to terraform a planet? And are they just going to terraform Kronos and wipe out all the Klingons? Like, is that what's going to happen? That could have been really interesting. It clearly didn't happen that way. And so, <sighs> this movie would have been way cooler if it was the third movie in the franchise, or even beyond that, because somebody raised the point that now they're embarking on their five-year mission together. If you had all that time elapsed and these characters were that much tighter, and then one of them died, like it would it would be way heavier. But then and he, Kirk's Kirk's death scene was really good. Like I was, they're like, both fantastic in that scene. They're really good. I was sitting there getting mildly choked up. I was like, "Damn, this these two are doing a great job of selling this." And it's really, it's a cool. I mean, Michael Giacchino's score again was mm-hmm. a huge factor. Mm-hmm. I was watching it, going, 
this is a great scene, but at the same time, I was like already like they're gonna inject triple blood into him and he's gonna be fine. Yeah, and it's not gonna matter. I'm sorry, we're skipping food for thought. I can't let some of these things go. We okay. need to talk about it. Sure. The. But like here's, that, that here's, if, if the movie had ended with Kirk dead, I would have been like, wow, powerhouse. Here's like, why it's a damn shame that you haven't, you didn't watch The Wrath of Khan beforehand, because they did it. I know. They did that. I know that. Exactly. Spock was dead. He was gone. <laughs> He's very and much And for dead. years, you did not know until the next movie was the search for Spock that Spock was going to come back. Yeah, not twenty minutes later. Yeah, you you had twelve minutes later. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So it, it one shitty action scene later. I hated the action scene between Spock and I was like, this is stupid. Spock jumped off one flying vehicle like a hundred feet and landed on the other, and he's cool to keep fighting this guy. No, <laughs> Spock's a nerd. He's <laughs> it's okay because I got Khan resisting the Vulcan neck pinch. The only that was pretty cool. <laughs> the only. The, the neck pinch was really, really, really sweet. That was a sweet moment, but I was like, this is a dumb fight. Spock does not do this. My understanding of Spock is he does not do this shit. See, but it's I was okay with it because he did do it. He did it when he was a kid. Yeah, I think I think he's, it mirrors that scene from the first. He's movie. always had the ability to do that. It's just he he's a lot he's lo- so logical he chooses not to do that. Well, no, and I'm, that not, moment, I'm not talking just, necessarily boom. about getting in a fight. I'm talking about fighting a guy who tore apart an entire Klingon. Well, I think Vulcans are beasts, aren't they? Though, like Vulcans are like stronger than humans. He's half and... Vulcan too, though. True. I don't. I don't like Spock going toe to toe with a guy who is, in his own words, his own savagery is what separates him. Like, I'm sorry, Khan would have torn Spock apart. That was dumb. <laughs> but he, we're getting into very my, the minutia well, sure, of this. But I, he, as... is, he is a genetically engineered human. Sure. He's not a Vulcan, and we don't have sufficient information to understand how beastly the... Vulcans can be. I don't know, man. That guy was a warlord. He would have he no, squeezed totally. He, he crushed Peter Willard's head with his bare hands and didn't even <laughs> I know, blink. I know. Uh, you're talking. I'm not talking just about physical means here. I'm talking about the will. Yeah. To no, totally. Absolutely dismember someone. But Spock may have been pushed to that. Yeah, yeah, like sure. Death, but I don't even think even Spock would lose himself. Well, and that's that that's far. the thing is that Benedict Khan even brings up like you wouldn't even break a bone. You're a Vulcan, and then he breaks break he breaks rule. Harrison's arm. It's, I just they, the whole they, the whole chase scene not, bothered it's me. It's not well done, but it's and then the way it ended was even dumber. Like, can you beam him up? No. Can you beam me, the girl who weighs ninety pounds, down there to help break and it that, up? That what? bothered that bothered me because they were like, "Can we beam Khan up?" And then they're like, "No, but we can send you down, Spock." And then it's like, "Can we beam Khan up?" But no, we can send you down, Uhura. Like I was like waiting for the like nine crew members to all be down there trying to hold Khan down. There's no one on the ship anymore. I was like, "This is getting really dumb." Like this. I don't know. It just it, the whole movie made a lot of really weird, derpy choices with which characters did which things. In my opinion, yeah. like why did he make Sulu acting captain? Make Bones acting captain? He's clearly headstrong enough to be able to but handle the situation. Sulu's Sulu's part of command, and Bones is a science <laughs> sure. officer. So. I just but there Sp- were a lot of things that, from yeah. a character perspective, I felt really weirded out by. And we're we're getting way I'm getting way too nitpicky than I wanted to because Willie covered almost everything I wanted to say. That I I was disappointed by the use of Khan. I, after we've talked about it now, I feel a little bit better because you have helped me understand the, the ways in which it's kind of clever, and the fact that the timeline of Khan in six one six and then Khan in this universe, 
the timeline lines up perfectly. This yeah. is just like some decades earlier or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is 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 clever. It's it's all very clever, but it's it's just kind of dumb. It's like it's like if I was put in charge of writing like a Batman movie, I'd probably make it a lot like Batman Begins in some ways because I love that movie. Or if I was in charge of writing a Star Wars movie, I would have to I would make it like a New Hope, and in almost every beat, it would be like a similar hero's journey. And that's why I shouldn't be writing any of those movies because I love those properties and it should be handled by people who respect them but don't necessarily want to do their own twist of the story that they love. And it's friggin' weird because despite <laughs> all of the... It's weird that I'm satisfied with this point. And this is something that I wanted to touch on. This movie ends with them embarking on the five-year journey that is very much the beginning of the TV series. The, and TV, the TV series monologue is... <laughs> The Starship Enterprise is on a five-year journey to go where no man has gone before, and no one now, because it's not as sexist as all the original series was. <laughs> but uh, to me, that was the way the first movie ended, though. It's yeah, it and didn't it's use really, the words. It's but... really, really strange too, because once again, to bring this point up again, you've done this alternate alternate timeline, but you're still ending up in the same, you know. Starfleet was destined to want to send people out for this five-year mission. Like, you're still getting... You've kind of slingshotted around this weird alternate timeline to get everybody back to where they were in the first place. The only difference is that Spock and Uhura are hooking up this time. Well, I mean, they, let's be honest, they need to sex Star Trek up a little bit. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't I, sexy enough. They didn't need to sex it up because Kirk got all the, all the bitches that he needed. <laughs> but the... Uh, <laughs> I almost flat out hated the ending of this movie because it, you have dorky chase, and then literally three minutes later the movie's over. Like it was the opposite of Return of the King. It was like they were like, let's f- in one paragraph, how can we end the movie? There were zero endings in this movie. <laughs> there were exactly. <laughs> it's like Kirk wakes up, Bones is like, oh, it wasn't me. Step aside. There's Spock waiting for two weeks for you to wake up. <laughs> Hasn't moved, so he could have this well timed exchange with you. Suddenly, Kirk is giving a speech, which is really not interestingly written, and suddenly we're back on the completely polished Enterprise, and let's enjoy our five-year journey. Yay, everyone. Khan's in a freezer. Like, it just, yeah. it, it is literally like, J.J. read the script, and it had like a ten-page ending. He's like, let's crunch this thing down into one paragraph, guys. We can do it. It just is such a quick... I'm kind of sick of shooting this movie, though. It is such a quick wrap-up that I was like, what the hell? Give it. Give me a few minutes to digest everything that just happened. It's The movie, for the for the most part, the pacing is really good throughout most of it. I got There's a little bit of a lull in the middle. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. It wasn't, it wasn't like... No. It didn't slam the brakes on. But then the ending is just so quick. It's so quick. I was like, damn. All right. Well, good, good job. Good game. <laughs> I want you to, um, real quick, Alex, I want you to continue what you're saying, too, about how you were, ho- you, you, you're bummed that we weren't able to watch Space Seed and Wrath of Khan before we saw this one. Yeah. I, know, I know that you had something you wanted to say about that. And it's just that, like, every everything that Nick was like, if this could have happened a few years later, like, what happens in Space Seed is that they discover the Botany Bay... Khan attempts to take the Enterprise away from them and revive his crew to go and take over the universe and Kirk puts a stop to it and maroons him on SETI Alpha 5. A random basically desolate desolate planet that 
nobody could basically survive on, but Khan, Khan is weirdly satisfied with it because he gets a world to conquer that he knows nothing about. And it's beautiful, and Spock's like, it'll, it, it would be very interesting to come back in a hundred years and see what he's done with the place. That's essentially what Spock says. And that's, that's basically the line that made, you know, Nicholas Meyer and the people that are making Wrath of Khan be like, that episode could deserve a sequel, and so they made we the Wrath of Khan. We do want to see what he... Yeah. Exactly. And so the thing about the Wrath of Khan is it's 15 years later they're <laughs> Chekhov is the first mate on another ship uh, Kirk has retired he's become an admiral and he's teaching a new crew and so is Spock and, and everybody's uh, grown everybody's moved on and for the most part and uh, Chekhov stumbles across SETI Alpha 5 he thinks it's 6 but he stumbles across 5 lands on it. He walks into this one shack where they found a life signal and they want to get rid of it or try to transplant it so that they can use the terraforming missile on it. And then he turns around and sees the words Botany Bay and he's like, Botany Bay? No, we need to leave. And he runs for the door. That's amazing. And Khan shows up. That's amazing. But essentially what I'm trying to get at is that that's 15 years later. Like you get, you get space, space seed happens, and 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 they they uh, they maroon Khan, and then the wrath of Khan happens 15 years after after, you know, Khan is woken up out of the Botany Bay. So you essentially get a payoff for a brief 40 minute episode, 15 years after the episode airs. Absolutely, Which and is then not cool. only that, but the wrath of Khan begins the like one of the most interesting and coolest trilogies. That has come to pass, in my opinion, because the Wrath of Khan and and the Search for Spock and the Voyage Home, all three of those are really, really, really cool movies. Search for Spock is the weakest of the three, but all three of them are very, very interesting, and they're serialized in a way that a lot of Star Trek episodes themselves weren't. It's like, it's almost like they 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 did the overarching story for Star Trek in the movies rather than in the series despite having more time to do it in the series. And it's it's very sad, especially hearing Nick say those words, that it would have been cool if they had done this, because they've already done it. I'm about to cry. I don't know why. <laughs> but they, <laughs> they, the, they have You're already done... You're such a mega nerd right now. I know, I know. It's very sad. They have it's already great. done everything that you said, and it's just... Like I finished, I finished the movie on Thursday. No, I'm actually my eyes are watering right now. <laughs> I finished the movie on Thursday and I texted Willie and I was like, I was like, dude, do you know any spoilers? And he was like, I know big, I know heavy rumors. And I was like, I am so conflicted right now because I basically want to sit you guys down on Saturday and watch Space yeah. and the Wrath of Khan. We should have. And but I didn't want I didn't want to give away the con thing, which maybe it was well, dumb. Here's but. my question: Based on I'm confused by what you're saying. So, in your opinion, with what I said, if they had done it later, would that have been a better thing or a more grave offense? In your opinion, it would have set them. It would have set them up for that same trilogy. It would have been even worse because they wouldn't. So you, you if would Kirk, have been, if Kirk would have died, and they were like, if somehow it would have been Kirk a search had, for Kirk. Yes. Okay. That's exactly what they. That's what they would have fallen into. And so, I guess I'm. I'm not necess- When I said that, I didn't. I didn't mean to upset you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It no, wasn't. It, it, I'm not. You didn't upset me at all. It just. It's I, just frustrating. I I'm weep sure. for the fact that you don't get to enjoy that the way that I did. I came. I was coming from a place that basically. I. They did it at a good time in this movie because from a from a cinematic standpoint, it 
served Kirk's character arc very well. Because if it had taken place later, Kirk would have been more mature. Clearly, at the time, it, I, I agree with William that I was sick. I'm sick of seeing Kirk be the be the bad boy who gets kicked out of everything. Yeah. But Greenwood, Captain Pike says it really well in this movie, where he goes says about the captain's chair. He's like, "You're not ready for it." And it's like in the first movie, he earned it through a loophole purely. Yeah. He did not deserve to be the captain, and like much like, like his father. Like me and Tim were saying, uh, we're saying after this movie, like Kirk is like the worst captain available, and he even says that in this movie. He's like, they need a better captain, and I was like, is this movie gonna end with Spock being the captain? Because I'm off if that happens. Like, <laughs> as much of an idiot as he is, Kirk is the captain, and. <clears throat> With uh, with this movie, it, it served... I, I kind of liked that he lost his seat, even though I was like, okay, Pike said he's going to get it back five minutes later. He's going to be the captain again. It, it was very... This movie was afraid to make anything serious happen. It was it was too scared to, to make Kirk knock the captain. It was too scared to keep Kirk dead. Um, and so, uh, basically what I was saying when I said it would be nice if that story could have happened later on is it would have been nice to have the crew be tighter before one of them bit it. Obviously, that's what happened in the original series, but it served Kirk's character arc so well in this movie to have that moment where he died um, that I, I was cool with it for him to just immediately throw himself headlong into danger. But, A, he does that all the time anyway. He should have died 15 times already between the first two movies. He <laughs> yeah. immediately is like, oh, danger, woo, like head first and yep. doesn't think about it. And um, secondly... The biggest disservice for this entire movie, far beyond retreading the the ground of Khan and everything, death is is now irrelevant. Yeah, like we have well, blood from seventy three dudes <laughs> in the locker. The human race is now immortal. Yeah, that's so stupid. That's well, so that's, stupid. That's the thing is that um, uh, there was a very interesting thing that MTV published today on their website. No, there wasn't. Uh, yeah, I know it sounds insane. <laughs> But it was um, one of their their like editor in chief had a an email exchange with Damon Lindelof, and a lot of what was said is interesting. And he like the the guy even asked, he's like, "So humans are invincible now? What's the deal with that?" And then Lindelof was like, "I'm avoiding that question completely, and I wish I didn't write this sentence." And then just moves on. So it's like I don't Lindelof know. Lindelof didn't write this one. Right? I don't. He was a producer. He yes. was a producer, but he worked with. Kurtzman, or obviously, you know, that's... But... So I don't know if they have future plans for that. I don't know... If the third movie opens with, like, the cryogenic area where they're stored, just exploding, <laughs> I'm gonna laugh so hard. And then walk out of the theater. And be like, you guys are pussies. Because you totally created the opposite brilliant loophole you did in the first movie, and made the dumbest loophole ever now, yeah. where, okay, great, so Bones injected a triple, and now it's invincible... Super triple. Well, also, not only because this. What if that's the villain in the next one? <laughs> the triple grows arms the, and stuff. The and triple army. Does Does Kirk now have con powers too, or is he? Just I alive? don't. I don't. I don't think that's and how I, it works. And if I crawled into a warp core and was blasted with immense radiation, your skin would melt. <laughs> I was going to say, a would I be able to have a beautiful monologue with my <laughs> with my friend at the end, or would I be just a bubbling mass at the bottom of the room? I don't know what the precedent is for people climbing into nuclear reactors at the. I don't. I don't know that we as a human species understand how that would work. You'd probably be a puddle of goo, though. Let's be honest. It's. But it's this in, is future nuclear physics. 
So we I, mean, don't know. I, I said I was I was arguing with a friend of mine who who liked Iron. Basically, we're on opposite sides of Iron Man three and Star Trek. He enjoyed Iron Man three, but he keeps poking holes in it and saying this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. And I'm doing that with Star Trek, and he's going, "How come you can't just enjoy the movie?" And I'm saying, "How come you can't do it with Iron Man?" <laughs> I said, "Here's the thing. To me, Star Trek, and I'm not even a huge Trek fan, but to me, Star Trek has, and you said this once, and it it, it helped me align my my expectations accordingly. You, Alex, for those who can't see me gesturing, um, <laughs> everybody. Star else. Trek has always been a relatively reasonable extension of where we could be." Technologically, ethically, morally, three hundred years from now, mm-hmm. it's basically a show with a premise except of, with a lot more sexism than we have nowadays. Sure, but it's basically saying this is a reasonable. It's set far enough in the future, and it's written in such a way, and it is. I mean, looking back on on Star Trek O Nine and and Into Darkness, there's not a ton in the movie that I can't say is impossible. There's a lot. Mm. There's a lot that happens in those movies, at least from my from my understanding that we should be able to probably do 300 years from now, if not already almost do today. Like, ejecting someone into a field of debris and having them navigate their way through it to go into another ship seems like something that could probably happen not too far from now. Um, Star Trek, to me, has always been, like, something that's... It's it's relatively grounded in reasonable reality. It's an extrapolation. From of... Sure, from at least as far as where the crew and their technologies. Obviously, they run into other shit that's crazy. That, but that's the whole point of it, is they're exploring and seeing what else is out there. Uh, and Iron Man is a comic book movie. And comic books, to me, are never about reality. And so when I see crazy-ass things in Iron Man 3, I'm like, whatever, it's a comic book movie. That's fine. It can go into the fantastic. It can go into the... It can go be pushed into those realms of nuttiness that I'm not necessarily concerned about. But Star Trek, to me, I, I always have expected to be a little bit more grounded. Even, even in the opening of... Or not the opening, but in 09 when he steals his stepdad's convertible it's an old it's a modern style car yeah and the cop it's, is riding it's science a fiction bike. with the emphasis emphasis on science and he's in That's exactly and he's in iowa and it's all cornfield still and there's this it's it's ve- it feels very especially from earth it feels very real just in the future and i love that about it and with this movie especially with con blood i'm like we i now this is gone gone into full-on fantasy for me and i'm not enjoying it as much as i was with the first one the first one feels like a great relatively reasonable adventure even the time travel stuff is explained in such a great way it's elegant exactly and then this movie just feels like it's it's just off-roading in a ice cream truck it's just all over the place it's not as smoothly written it's yeah I've gotten way, way the hell off topic. <laughs> We've gone Dark Knight Rises on this one. <laughs> no, we're not yet at two and a half hours, which, which is And good. you've barely even gotten to say anything besides your very well-told history of the, the whole Well, I sold it with arc. the tears. But... No, I... <laughs> no. I'm so glad. I wish there was glass here. <laughs> um, no, I, there's not a whole lot more that I want to say that didn't get covered by one of the three of us, so it's that's not... I'm not... I don't feel, you know, cheated out of time. I think we all, you know... Got our points out. And it's weird, because despite that like half hour we just had of relatively all negativity, it's still a good movie. It's still extremely enjoyable. It's totally. Still, totally. That's but, the weird thing. Yeah. Oh, so, take, take We can the, no longer review movies, because <laughs> none of this makes any sense. This, this movie has broken, broken film criticism for us. No, I... That's the, I guess this is just a testament to Abrams and his ability to craft yep, yep. a great movie. Yep. 
Yeah. Even I, when you're annoyed. That's probably the biggest thing is that, it, you know, the, yeah. the problems yeah. that we have with this movie are... They're all in the writing. They're on the script level. There is and nothing in production or acting or even the worst. Even the worst Spielberg movie is still usually an enjoyable, like with a couple of minor exceptions, it's still an enjoyable movie. And, and and they get compared a lot, so it makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah, he's like a mini me of Spielberg. It's yeah, weird. True. He's turning into him physically. <laughs> he looks like him. All right, I think I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Um, we'll go through. The typical stuff. Thanks to my brother at Mr. John on Twitter for artwork and music. Um, yeah, we're gonna get to that. It's gonna go. It's in. A, it's gonna be earlier in the episode, actually. But um, find us on Twitter. Uh, you can just go to our MidwestFilmNerds.com. Look at the show notes. We'll have links to it there. I have a massive Twitter presence. It shouldn't be hard. <laughs> I use it a lot. <laughs> We're also on Instagram and Vine. Uh, MFN Podcast is the, the, the Twitter and the Instagram. And then you can just search for Midwest Film Nerds Podcast on Facebook and Vine. And uh, Kyle XY, go watch Star Trek.